Hey, everybody, it's Tommy Canelli, and welcome back to Before the Lights Podcast, the show that tells you how they made their mark. He's a former running back who played at UNLV and for the Cincinnati Bengals from 1988 to 1991. A series of injuries shortened his career. He's a Fresno, California native, born Albert Woods. He set numerous rookie franchise records and is most remembered for the end zone dance called the Icky Shuffle. Please welcome to the show, none other than Icky Woods. Icky, how are you, man? I'm doing good, brother. How are you? I am well. Welcome to the show. We're going to have some fun and dig into that memory years and go through some good times and probably not so good times throughout your career. But let's go here. You received the nickname from your little brother's pronunciation of the first name, Albert. How old were you about when this happened? Uh, I was actually one, about about two and a half. Couldn't pronounce Albert, so he used to call me E.E. all the time. And to make it simpler, you know, my mom started calling me Icky, and it's kind of ironic. We grew up Cokie and Icky. <laughs> Who gave that name? Your mom? Yeah, my mom did. Mom gave mom gave us that name, so we were Cokie and Icky, and you know, and I was I was a, I was a little bad rascal back in the day too. So <laughs> you attended Edison High School in Fresno, California, and for the people that are listening that may be looking at either following in your footsteps or wanting to become a professional athlete, can you talk about the struggles you had in high school as a student, and then? what your performance was like on the field? Well, you know, I was, um, I wasn't real heavy on school. I didn't like school that much. So, uh, so I was, a, I was the kind of guy who, you know, was a c- class clown. And then uh, it came to the point where Prop 48 came in and you had to have good grades in order to get into college in order to continue to play football. Football was my first love. so. You know, I love playing the game of football, and it came time where, you know, I had to buckle down and, you know, start getting that schoolwork together if I wanted to get to that next level and keep playing football. So I didn't like school much, but I loved to play football, <laughs> so I had to get that school part together so I continue, so I could continue to play and go off to college. When did UNLV and Harvey Hyde start recruiting you? When was that? Uh, that was probably uh, my junior year going into my senior year. You know, they uh, they had seen me and that came. And uh, the thing about it is I really didn't have no one there who uh, could tell me when I got all these college letters. Because I got I got letters from everywhere, man. I got letters from all over the place. But I didn't know when you got those letters, you had to fill those questionnaires out and send them back to the school. So I had a shoebox full of letters that I never, you know, sent their questionnaires back. So the schools didn't know I was interested in going there. But uh, UNLV, you know, they just kept after me and kept after me, brought me in for a recruiting trip. And uh, the, the coldest thing about it, is I wanted to go to Fresno State. Mm. But at that time, uh, Jim Sweeney was the head football coach, and they didn't give scholarship to in-town kids. So, you know, and I couldn't afford to pay my way to school. So uh, so UNLV came in, 
gave me a full ride. You know, Fresno State came to the house and, you know, said they needed me to walk on and they would help me get financial aid and all that. And UNLV say, hey, man, we'll give you a full ride. And I went to for went there for the visit, man. And once I went for the visit, <laughs> that was all she <laughs> I was just going to bring that up because I live in Las Vegas. So when you came here from Fresno, what did you think of Vegas when you first got here? Oh, man, you know, I was a young kid, you know, 18 <laughs> years old, man, coming in there to all the lights, and man, it was, it was, it was crazy. They flew me and my mom in, we get there, they take us to dinner, we go to dinner, and then, you know, back then, mom, moms was a little tired, so she wanted to go back to the room, but, you know, they had the guys take us out, and so... <laughs> Man, we went out and I got I got back to the room that night. I said, Mom, this is where I'm coming, right? <laughs> yeah, man, got me hooked line and single boy when I got there. Went there, man, had a great time and got to meet some great people, man. And my senior year, I had a guy by the name of John Montgomery come in, who was our new running back coach, man, showed that he cared for me as a person and you know, took me under his wing and set me down in his office and said, hey, young man, you want to go to the NFL, uh, your next step? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, I'll tell you what, I guarantee you from this day forward, if you do everything I tell you to do and you give me 110%, I guarantee you be a first or second round draft challenge. And, I, you know, I kind of looked at him and, I didn't know him from Adam, and I was like, well, who is this guy to try to, you know, make that <laughs> promise to me? But I didn't have nothing to lose, man. I had one year to make it big, and, you know, and and, and I did everything he asked me to do and I ended up, you know, being the first player, 31st player taken in the draft, first player in the second round. So, you know, it's, he held true to his word. I'm going to read off some of your stats from your senior year, but I want to revert back just a second. Your freshman year in 84, you were playing with Randall Cunningham. You guys went 11 and 2, and you win the California Bowl 30 to 13 over Toledo. Icky, what do you remember about that bowl experience? Well, you know, being that it was in Fresno, my hometown, you know, I was, I, I, I was, I was, man, I was over the moon, <laughs> man. I was able to get there my, 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 my freshman year, and our starting fullback, Tony Lewis, he had hurt his back in, in the, the pre-game prior, so they didn't really know if he was going to be able to go. So he, he was able to go probably the first few minutes of the game, and then he re-injured his back. And then in comes the freshman, Icky Woods, in his hometown. And, man, that was, I was great. I, able, I was able to score a touchdown. And, you know, they interviewed me after the game, and I was in it. Well, first of all, I'd just like to thank Jim Sweeney for not giving me a scholarship <laughs> to come to France. <laughs> oh, that is classic. Yeah, man. Your senior year in 87, he led the nation in rushing with 1,658 yards, the second most in UNLV history. You also have the single-game rushing attempts record with 37 attempts twice. The game I want to point out to is the game versus Pacific, did that is that the game that catapulted you? Do you feel like to another level? It did. I think I had two hundred and fifty something yards in that game. That was the 
the game that, you know, catapulted me probably in the top five of the nation's leading rushers, you know, and I was, because uh, every week what we would do, me and me and the coach, the, uh, back then you didn't have the internet, so we had to go to the USA Today mm-hmm. and they show you what the nation's leading uh, rusher, passer, catcher, you know, that type of thing. So every week we would meet in his office on Tuesday when the USA came, the day came out and we would watch and we would be like, well, this is how many yards we need this next game <laughs> so we can get, so we can increase, increase. And then uh, kind of ironic, we got into our last game against uh, Northern Illinois and going into the game, I needed 184 yards to take over the nation's leading rusher because Ironhead Hayward out of pit was was uh, the number one at that time. And he had already played his last game so uh, the week before. So I needed 184 yards to become the nation's leading rusher, and I ended up getting 187 to overtake him uh, as the nation's leading rusher. So that was that was a great experience to see that. Before we get into your days at Cincinnati, give me like an off-field good UNLV story. I mean, it's Vegas. I mean, you guys had to be hanging out at the clubs. Were you going to the Shark Club? Where were you going? Oh, man. We, you know, we had so much fun, man. It was, you know, Vegas, like I said, was a tourist town. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, every weekend it was a, a new group of people coming in. So we used to go down on the strip, man, the circus circus and catch a few of them, <laughs> few of them honeys coming into town, man, you know, and it was just, it was just nice, man. You know, it, when you had to really look the edge, cause you can go, that was at a time where you can go and to the slot machine and act like you're gambling and they'll just bring you free drinks, you know, just right. to keep you, keep you going. So <laughs> we didn't have the spirit to spend no money on drinking cause we'd go get the free drinks, you know? So it was, and then the food was real cheap, man. I mean, it was just, it was a blast, man. We had a great time. I don't know if you took advantage of it, but I used to go late at night. There was a cafe in the downstairs in the on Fremont Street of the old Horseshoe. And they, okay. And they had a dollar ninety nine steak and eggs after ten eight ten yeah. p.m. Oh yeah. And we oh, yeah. we'd line up they, up they, the steps. They, they had, well, when I was there, they had that at the Palace Station. Oh yeah. Right there. Yep. I can't remember what street it was on, but we used to go there every time after we leave the club, man, <laughs> and, and eat up some stuff. <laughs> you mentioned that you got drafted thirty first pick, drafted second in the second round for the Cincinnati Bengals. What did you know about Cincinnati then, and what did you? What were your thoughts about going to Cincinnati? Well, you know, when I got that with my agent, me and me and Ironhead actually had the same agent coming out of which was Bruce Allen, uh, uh, and there was three teams that he said we do not want to go to, and the Cincinnati Bengals just happened to be one of the three teams, and. <laughs> We got drafted, and I was, you know, I was a young kid, so I was just happy to be at, 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 on the NFL team. So, you know, I was like, okay, well, you're going to have to get down there, and you're going to have to prove that you belong here because you really hadn't done nothing, in, you know, for three years in college, and you just burst on the senior last year. So you're going to really have to get there and prove yourself. And and I worked hard that, that offseason to get ready for – you know, the upcoming season with the Cincinnati Bengals, I got there. 
I got the rookie mini camp and uh, we went through rookie mini camp and then we, and then the veterans came in to a uh, camp. And when we got to the veteran camp, I can remember like it was yesterday. We in the, we in the, um, the running back meeting and Jim Anderson put on the board the uh, first, second, third, fourth team. And he has Stanley Wilson as the first team and Bill Johnson as the third team. Well, Bill Johnson actually had number 30 when I got to Cincinnati. So they put me in 31. And so I had to wear 31 the first six games because Bill Johnson left camp the next morning. Well, that night after he, they put me on second team and put him on third team. He was upset, so he left camp that night. <laughs> oh, yeah, he left that night and didn't come back. And so when he didn't come back, you know, a week after after our first or after our second preseason game, I went in to Tom Gray, which is equipment manager. I said, hey, Tom, you know, I don't think Bill Johnson's coming back, man. I need to get number 30. And he was like, no, you got to. You know, he got to be gone six weeks before you can before you can change numbers. So I said, OK, we waited and then we played the Jets on. Uh, we played the Jets our sixth game of the season. That was my breakout game. That's when I, you know, I, I, I rushed for one hundred and fifty three yards. I had two touchdowns and uh, and that was the first time I actually did my icky shuffle. So. I get, you know, after the game, Monday come around, I go into the equipment room and I say, hey, Tom, man, uh, it's been six games now, man. We're going into seven. You said after the sixth game, I can give my 30. He was like, oh, no, 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 no. You had a great game in 31. You need to keep 31. You need to keep 31. I said, listen here, Tom. If I don't have 30 in my locker come game time, I ain't playing. And I walked out. <laughs> I walked out the room and I was like, I was like, I was like, I, I, I hope, I hope he had my number 30 in there, you know, because I'm gonna play no matter what numbers in my locker. So I came in game time. It was game time. I came in. And there was number 30 in my locker. I was like, yeah, baby, we finna get it now. So we had a great time, man. I tell you, I tell you. Let's touch base. You talked about the first time you did the icky shuffle. Was it almost banned by the NFL? Yeah, they they they, they did. They told me I couldn't do it on, on the field, so I took it to the sideline. You know, I, I wasn't going to let them ban, ban me, ban me, you know. So do it on the field because... Teams were complaining it was taunting or something like that. And so the refs say you can't do it on the field. So so when I scored, I just kind of ran to the sideline, did it for the fans, and, and, you know, and they would go wild. Did you get fined for doing it as well? Yeah, I did, did. get fined. But, you know, I, I, mean, I was actually sitting in my locker. Which game was that? I think that was the uh, playoff game against the uh, Seahawks. I'm sitting in my locker and I look and, you know, in, in comes Paul Brown. And Paul Brown, when he comes into the locker room, he goes straight from coming in to the back where the coach's office is. He would never stop. Every game, every game we came in, he came straight in. He went straight to the back. 
So this particular time, he comes in the door, he stops, he looks at me, and he starts walking over to me. Now, I am, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think, man, did I do something? You know, what's going on? Why is he, why is he coming over here? Because he don't normally do this. So he came over, he said, hey, Icky. I said, hey, PB, how are you? He said, oh, I'm doing okay. He said, hey, I just wanted to tell you, he said, personally, I don't care too much for that little dance you do. He said, but my wife loves it. You can do it anytime you get ready. I said, oh, my God. I said, God, I got the stamp of approval now, boy. Oh, it's on now. By having that shuffle, did that motivate you to try and score more to, to do that for the fans? It did, especially at home, because I only did it at home. If I scored on the road, you know, I would just throw the ball to the ref. You know, but, you know, at, at home was the only time I really done it, you know, because it was something for our fans, you know what I'm saying? So so I did. Every time I did it, it was at home. What was the town of Cincinnati like the year you played when you guys earned the birth to go to the Super Bowl? Was it out of control? Man, it was, it was, it was on fire, man. It was unbelievable, man. I tell you, boy, it was – it was just something that that you you know it's it's hard to even explain how exciting the city was and it was it was that way this past year mm-hmm. too when the current team made it to the Super Bowl man it was it was unbelievable it it, it hadn't been that way since we done it 33 years ago you know and it was uh it was electrifying man it was it was great to you know to be a part of it to tell you the truth yes sir how did you get contacted about them putting you on the Sports Illustrated cover that says Super Bowl bound? Oh, man, uh, they just called me up. I can't remember how uh, they actually contacted me. I think they they contacted me through my agent. Okay. You know, they called my agent, and then, uh, you know, he let me know, hey, uh, Sports Illustrated want to do a cover story on you. Uh, they're going to come out, and I was actually um, at in California when they came and did it because I was back at home because my mom was doing my hair and everything. So, so they did it. Uh, they 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 did it in in California. Super Bowl twenty three versus the Forty Niners, a twenty sixteen loss. Icky, what do you remember away from the game, like the experience of being in the Super Bowl, but not the actual game? It was it was just fun, man. Because everywhere you went, you know, people knew who you were, you know, and and, and you were in a city, you know. We were in Miami, you know, and Miami was this great atmosphere. No matter when you go there, you know <laughs> what right. I'm saying. So so it was so it was great to be in Miami, and that was right around the time when they was having the riots going on back back in '88, and they you know told you not to go to certain parts of Miami, you know, that the rioting was going down in the, uh, in the hood of Miami. So they told us to, you know, stay, uh, stay away from it. So we was able to go to the beach. We was able to get on, um, on the skis. We were able to go to a, uh, a Miami heat game. Oh man. We, we done a lot, man. It was uh it was great. It you, was a fun time. You talked about there being some honeys at circus circus. There had to be some honeys in Miami for the Super Bowl. Oh man! Ooh, they say that they say that's the booty count on the world, bro. <laughs> yeah, you talk about some honeys, boy. It was a 
it was a nice experience, man, just to go down there and, you know, being able to, you know, go down there and experience that, you know, because it was a, a, a two-week experience. So that first week, we had a chance to go home and be with family. And then that second week, we were down in Miami. We had the um, the media day. And then after the media day, it was it was time to get to work, you know. So we we had about um, we had about two or three days where we got to go out and experience and have some fun and just and just enjoy ourselves. And then by Tuesday, it was time to go to work. As I said in the opening, you had a series of injuries that shortened your career. In 1989, you had a torn ACL, and then in '91, you have a right knee injury in preseason. Icky, what injury was it that you know you just weren't going to be the same? Was it the ACL or was it the knee injury? No, it was probably the knee because I came back pretty decent off the ACL. I rehabbed real good and I and I, you know, got out there and and what had happened, I'd went through the first ACL and then the the uh, right knee happened in um we were in a non-tackling drill and I was running through the hole and some rookie comes through, grabs my face mask, spins me around and comes down on my knee in a non-tackling drill. And so I had a, I had a uh, partial tear. It wasn't a full tear of the ACL. So I had a partial tear and, you know, didn't want to go through another year of, you know, doing the rehab on the ACL. So we just decided to kind of let it heal. And they put me on the, the pup list for six weeks and we were able to let it heal, but it, it was never the same, man. I didn't, didn't have the burst that, you know, I once had and everything. So, so it was, uh, it, it was lights out, man. So it is what it is. This is my story. No symptoms to being diagnosed with colon cancer, which led to four surgeries and a 50-50 survival rate. It then spread to my liver, in which only 3% are caught in time. Now, a 1% chance it ever comes back, and I'm on the road to inspiring everyone because you have three choices. Live, die, or fight. Bernie Siegel said, no matter what the statistics say, there's always a way. To book me, Tommy Canale, to speak to your event or group, go to TommyCanale.com. That's TommyCanale.com. And get ready to be inspired to inspire others because you're one day away from changing your life. Click the link in the show notes. How was it for you adjusting to going from the Super Bowl and then being out of football at such a young age? It, it was hard at first, man. Probably the first couple of years, man, it was it was real difficult because I still thought in my mind that I could still play, you know what I'm saying? Instead of thinking that, hey, you know, it's over. So we kept trying and we kept trying and we wanted to – so we tried to go to the uh, Canadian Football League, and after we didn't make that, we kind of knew it was over. So I got back and, you know, started going to work and, you know, 
trying to provide for the babies that I had, you know, and, and people were like, you know, I, I did whatever it took, man. I, I had the gift of gab. So I went into sales and, uh, you know, I did, um, I sold, uh, meat door to door, you know, but that was, that was probably one of my, one of my better gigs, man, you know, because I could go out in one day, you know, and make $500 selling meat. So, People couldn't realize that they were like, "Why is he selling meat, brother?" Because meat put food on the table. That's, that's right. why I'm selling meat, and, that, and you know that's all I cared about was making sure that my kids had food on the table and clothes on their back. You know, because that was my responsibility, and I couldn't care what nobody thought about me because uh, the old saying is, you know, opinions is just like buttholes. Everybody has one, and they stink. Not so sure. I didn't even care what nobody thought about me. So I, you know, I did whatever it took to provide for my babies, man. And I, you know, and I could care less what anybody, you know, personally thought about me, you know. You were also the owner of the Cincinnati Sizzle, which was the full contact women's football alliance. How legit was this full contact women's league? It, it, it was pretty legit, man. Was they, had some, they had some women who could play the game, man. I was kind of surprised. My, uh, Ex-wife came home one day and uh, was like, uh, you know, I want to try out for the women's football team. I said, women's football team? I said, what women's football team? She said, well, there's a new women's football team coming to town. And, you know, I was like, yeah, okay, 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 right. I said, well, I'll tell you what. If they need a coach, tell them I help coach. You know, I was being sarcastic and shit. So she come home, she was like, Honey, guess what? <laughs> I was like, hey, no, I am not coaching. She said, you said you would. You said you would. And being a person of my word, I said, all right. I went on ahead and I uh, I started coaching, man. And to my surprise, there were some women who could play the game. But, you know, with women, women, women hold stuff a long time, you know, so – what I what I had to learn is I couldn't coach them the same way that I coach men because with men you can cuss a man mm-hmm. out and you know talk to him any kind of way and he would the next day he didn't forget about it but women oh <laughs> man oh, man they still mad at me the next day so I so I had to tell them I said listen here ladies. What happens on the football field stays on the football field. Don't take that home with you and don't bring it back the next day because I don't want to hear about it. I don't want you <laughs> mad at me tomorrow for something I did on the field, the football field yesterday. I said, when we on the football field, I'm going to yell, I'm going to scream at you. I say, but leave it on the football field. Don't take it home with you. I say, but what you need to do is learn from me yelling at you so you won't make the same mistake over again. But leave it on the football field. Don't take it home. (laughs) There's nothing you can take home with you. (laughs) Was the ex-wife, was she a good player? Yeah, she was actually a pretty decent player, man. She was a pretty decent player. She played offensive line. You know, she was out there blocking me. Every 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 game getting into a fight. So I tell girl, you got to quit fighting. It's not it's not boxing now. Stop going out there trying to fight people and, and, and block. 
<laughs> Any desire you have to be a coach sometime down the road, even if it's at a youth level? Well, you know, after I lost my son, man, I uh, I just I just started working his foundation, mm -hmm. and that's what I do full time now. You know, I'm busy with that, so I don't really have time to do a lot of coaching. But I got a couple of grandsons now that's that's uh, that's real young right now. So when they get to that age where they can probably play little league or something, I might. I might put back on the coaching shoes, you know, so I can coach my grandbabies. There you go. I'm going to dive into the foundation here in a minute, and we're going to get all into that. couple more questions. The Bootsy Collins video, Who Day Invasion. Flavor Flav has got the clock. Where did you get that big B? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, uh, I happened to be in Vegas last year. Oh, Vegas. For the, yeah, for the Bengals game against the uh, against the Raiders. And I had uh, went to uh, – I met my cousins down there from Fresno. They had flew down for the uh, – uh, one my little – a little family friend actually played running back at UNLV and he broke a couple of my records. So it was senior night and I went to the UNLV game, got a chance to, you know, meet him. Well, not a chance to meet him, a chance to congratulate him on breaking a few of my records and everything. And then the next night we went to the, uh, we went to the fight the next night. They had a Terrence Crawford. He fought um guy fought, but but he fought Terrence Crawford had a fight on Saturday night, and then after the fight, my cousin was staying downtown. And he said he was on Fremont Street and he seen these big bees down yeah. there. Yep. And I said, he said, I know. He said, cuz I know you will want one of them <laughs> if we go down there. I said, all right. So after the fight, I said, well, let's go down there. Let's go on down to Fremont Street. Show me where them bees at. So we went down there, and it had that, it had that big bee. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, I definitely need to get one of them. <laughs> I said, I'm going to wear that to the game tomorrow. Because we were going to the bingo game the next day. I said, I'm going to wear that to the bingo game. So I'm sitting around. I got that big bee on. I got dressed, put on my bingo put paraphernalia on. Got that big bee on. And I'll walk around the Stanley Stadium yelling that. And then the Bengals, then the Bengals end up winning. So I get back home, and uh, we happen to play. Uh, we play. We got back home. Wherever we played, I didn't wear the beat to the game, and we end up losing that game. And I was like, man, come on. So the next <laughs> week we played another game. I didn't wear the B. We end up losing the kid. I'm like, oh, man, get that. I'm wearing my B from here on out. So every time I want my B, man, the guys start winning. And I was like, all right, I ain't no taking the B off when I go to the game. I said, I'm going to continue to wear my B. And sure enough, every week they kept winning. And people was like, hey, Icky. Why you still got that plastic on the beam, man? Why didn't you take that plastic off? I say, because I say, look at the plastic. You see all that dirt on that plastic? They was like, yeah. I say, well, where you think that dirt would be if, if that plastic wasn't on the beam? It'd be right on my beam. And I said, I don't get my B dirty, baby. I said, so we're going to leave the plastic on. I said, so after my boys win the Super Bowl, 
I'm going to take the plastic off then. But until then, the plastic stay on. (laughs) (laughs) Icky, you've been in a a few commercials. You were in a national Oldsmobile with your mother and then the Geico where I'm going to get me some cold cuts. How many takes did you do of that Geico commercial? I did actually uh, five. Okay. So we started off, uh, we did two takes, and then at the end of those takes, they had me going back to the cart, leaning over the cart, and picking something up off the cart and act like I'm reading. Man, I ain't doing that no more. That that, that shit whack. (laughs) So I said, I'm going to try something and see if they like it, you know, so... We went through the skit again, then we came to the end. I walked by the cart, and then I just yelled, I'm going to get me some gold cuts today, and started jumping in the air. And they were like, oh, we love it. We love it. We love it. We love it. So, you know, I improv, man, and then, you know, they changed the last ending of it, man. So, you know, we just having some fun, bro. That's it. Listeners, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the Javante Woods Foundation and also to the Geico commercial so you can get a look at it. If you don't know what we were just talking about, you got to check out the Geico commercial. Javante Woods Foundation, named for your son who passed at age 16 on August 14th, 2010 from an asthma attack. The foundation provides funding and educating for asthma research and organ donor education. Tell my listeners and myself about who Javante Woods was. Well, Javante was my son, man, and he was uh, he was one 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 world of an athlete too, man. He'd have probably been the the next uh, Icky Woods of uh, you know he was he played cornerback though, so he'd have been a he'd have been a great cornerback, man. He'd have been he'd have been one of those uh, uh, unbelievable corners like a Darrell Revis or a, a Sherman, you know. He'd have, he had his little he had his little thing called Woods Island. You know, so he was a uh, he, he man. He was a heck of a player, but he was more a heck of a young man because when we had his service, man, I had so many kids come up to me and tell me so many stories about how he helped them. You know, and he was such a selfless kid, man. And you know, and and I seen that firsthand. When, you know, the the doctor finally pronounced him brain dead and, and, you know, and said it was over. So we had to make a decision whether to take him off life support. So we decided to take him off life support. And when we decided that, they took us to a room where there was two ladies that we've been in the hospital for three days. I hadn't seen these ladies for three days. So we went in and, and they and. The doctor talked to us, the chaplain talked to us, and then they introduced two, these two ladies to us that were from Life Center. And, you know, and the, and the ladies started talking, you know, trying to give me their, give us, me and my ex-wife, their condolences. And I was like, hey, listen here, lady, I don't want to hear that ish. I said, what do you want? And she said, uh, Mr. Woods, we want to let you know that Javante checked yes on his driver permit that he wanted to be an organ donor. And, bruh, I lost it. Oh, I lit into them ladies, man. And, you know, and I said so many cuss words and choice words at them, man. I'm ashamed of myself 
But I was in a state of mind, you know, I just lost my baby and I thought they were telling me that they were coming in to take his organs, you know. And so I just I just went went totally off. And then the lady started explaining, no, Mr. Woods, we're not taking your son's organs. I'm just letting you know that he had signed on his driving permit that he wanted to be an organ donor. And it's up to you and you and you know, you and your wife or you and his mom to uh, decide whether you guys are going to let him be an organ donor. So I looked at her and I said, hey, did you know anything about this? She was like, she said, we had talked about it, but I didn't know that he had checked yes on his driving permit that he wanted to be an organ donor. And so I told the lady, I said, well, let me see Will he check yes on his driving permit that he wanted to be an organ donor. And let me see his, you know, his signature where he signed that he wanted to be an organ donor. And so she showed me his, uh, the box, the box where he checked. Yes. And then she showed me, uh, his, uh, his signature. And I knew it was his signature because me and him had practiced his signature because he was getting ready to, you know, sign autographs. He had been signing autographs when he went out with me to some, to some fundraising that I did for my youth foundation he would sign. People would ask him for his autograph too, and he would sign it. And so I, I knew what his autograph looked like, and I and I knew that was his signature on there. And so I turned to his mom. I said, "Well, what you want to do?" She's like, "Well, I don't know. What do you want to do?" I said, "Well, you know, I don't know what to do." I said, "But let's do what he wanted to do. He signed that he wanted to be an organ donor, and so let's honor that." and let him become an organ donor. And we did that. And he was able to save four lives with his organs and help countless others with his tissue. So we're very happy about that. And that's why we're so heavily involved with organ donation as well. Icky, what is the threefold mission for this foundation? It's uh, asthma research and asthma education, organ donation, and education, which is my son was a straight A student. And what we do is we give scholarships out each year to kids with asthma who has straight A's or have a have a three point eight. Our scholarship is three point eight to be great scholarship. And so we give that out every year to deserving young men and young women. We give out two to girls two to girls and two to boys every year, a thousand dollar scholarship to help them go off to college. Listeners go to the show notes and click the link. Javante woods, foundation.org. I'm going to put that there. Asthma is the number one chronic condition in children and takes 11 lives every day. I see from looking at the foundation, Icky, that June 18th to 24, 2023. So next summer cruise for a cure a six-night, all-inclusive cruise on Celebrity Cruise Line. You and some of your celebrity friends and listeners can join and be part of this cruise. You got to be excited about this. Man, I'm I'm ecstatic about that, man. We're going to have so much fun <laughs> on that cruise, man. We're going to do a lot, lot of stuff dealing with, you know, raising money for the foundation, man, and, and fighting this deadly disease, man. But I am a, I am ecstatic. Actually, my... My two sons are the ones that's putting it together, man. It's just, it's good to see my baby step up, man, and do something, man. I, I'm just overjoyed 
that, you know, they came to me and say, hey, dad, we want to do this cruise. We just want to get your approval and we'll get to work on it. We hopefully we can make it a big, you know, annual thing. You know, let's get this first one done. I say, well, hey, put it together. Let me know what you need from me. Let's go to work. And man, these 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 guys, man, as just, you know, just I mean, man, it's just, you know, it's just heartwarming to see your babies go to work like that, man. I'm just I'm overjoyed, man. I let them two cats to death, man. I'll put a link in the show notes to register for the cruise as well. Icky, what else do you want the listeners to know about the Javante Woods Foundation? Well, I just want I just want them to know that that our main purpose is trying to save lives, man. You know, that's what it's all about. You know, my son gave his life so he could bring life to asthma, like you said, which is a, de- a disease that kill 11 people a day. And never in my wildest dreams that I think asthma could kill because I grew up with asthma. You know, I, I suffered from asthma when I was growing up and I didn't know that it could kill until it took my baby from me. And I started doing some research and come to find out that asthma is the fastest growing disease in America, but it's the least amount is not spent on finding a cure, finding a better way to treat it. So we just wanted to start the foundation, man, so we can bring more light to this deadly disease that's killing 11 people a day. In today's real estate market, you need to work with a real estate professional who you can trust. Amy Canale is a proud member of the Berkshire Hathaway Home Services Network in Nevada. She will provide the absolute finest service, dedication, and expertise possible, whether you want to buy, sell, or rent, Amy can help make your home ownership dreams come true. To contact Amy, call 480-685-1217, go to her website, amycanally.com, or click the link in the show notes, BS0146092. We've been talking about Icky Woods, but tell me, who is Albert Woods these days? <laughs> I guess I guess Elbert Woods is the ego author of, of, of Icky Woods, you know. <laughs> Icky is the face of everything that gets out there and have fun and 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 raise the money for the foundation and and Elbert is the guy who keeps everything together, you know, behind the scenes. Just make sure that uh we're doing the right thing, make sure that we're, you know, uh catering to you know, uh, the less fortunate and, and trying to help them, you know, because with asthma, it is so the medicine is so expensive that, you know, the, the um, lower class people really can't afford it. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to figure out a way where we can help support them and get them the medicine that they need. Icky, man, I wish you nothing but success with the foundation. Thanks for taking time out of your day and coming on the show and talking about the foundation and some memories from the past. Well, big bad boy, I'm glad you had me on, baby. I'm glad you had me on. We had a great time, man, and I appreciate you. Appreciate you taking time out of your day to spend with me and and help me get my message out, man. Much thanks and and love you for that, brother. Love you for it. You are more than welcome. I'm humbled and honored to do that. Listeners, if you would, follow me on Instagram at Before the Lights Podcast and take 30 seconds out of your day to rate, review, and follow the show. I am Tommy Canale, and until next time, everybody, 
I salute a chin chin. <laughs>